0: No, it helps very much if you talk a little. Your voice helps me to see in the dark. Jeremy's voice startled Charlie out of her momentary thoughts of home.
1: Oh, okay. Um, what would you like me to talk about?
0: Charlie replied from behind the large bat as she felt her way along the cave floor. Try not to bump into the rocks and cave fixtures that littered the place. Jeremy had kept up a slow stream of conversation to inform her of how best to maneuver herself to avoid trouble as they made their way deeper into the cave. For a long while, they seemed to be going down and down, but now the path felt as though it were moving back up again. Well, that should be easy. Why don't you tell me about yourself? I know nothing. His voice echoed back as he continued to make a slow and steady path forward. How about we start with your name? For I do not even know that much about you. Charlie blushed, though no one would see it in the dark, perhaps not even Jeremy. But she realized that while he had introduced himself, she had not responded in kind.
1: Charlie. My name is Charlie. Well, actually, it it is Charlotte. But everybody calls me Charlie.
0: There, one fact (laughs) about Charlotte. The bat laughed, its voice echoing deep within the cave. If you do not mind, I love the name Charlotte and would call you by your full name, but only if you uh, permit me. The large fruit bat had paused in front of her, his voice growing louder as presumably he had just turned around to face her.
1: I guess that's okay.
0: Charlie responded timidly. He was such a friendly creature she couldn't help but smile at his enthusiasm at the smallest things. Excellent. Now, another fact about Jean. Tell me more before your voice lights the battle before us. She could hear the smile (laughs) in his voice and chuckled in response.
1: Well, I'm not very interesting. My sister, she's much more interesting than me.
0: Aha, two facts, two facts about Charlotte. Charlotte has a sister. Does this sister have two names like you?
1: Actually, yes, she does.
0: Charlie responded as she started to warm to the conversation.
1: I call her Cassie, but her full name is Cassandra.
0: And in saying her name, a deep sadness swelled inside of her, choking her throat momentarily.
1: I miss her so much.
0: Oh, my dear, I am so sorry. Is your sister no longer alive? Jeremy had paused again, his voice softening in his response. Oh,
1: no, no. She just had to move away to a new school.
0: Charlie replied sullenly, I see, is this a school you speak of, some terrible place where they torture Cassandras, perhaps it is dark like this cave with no fruit, not to ever see a beautiful fruit again would be, would be terrible, terrible indeed, Jeremy responded as he drew back toward her,
1: no, it's not like that. She's actually in a really nice place, you see. Cassie is a really good artist, so she went to a special school where she can become even better.
0: She didn't know why, but explaining it like this didn't make it seem so bad. Well then, why is Charlotte so sad? If your sister is not tortured and she has fruit, what would be so bad? Jeremy seemed to relax again and turn around as she could sense him starting to move forward again.
1: Well, I don't get to see her. I mean, she'll be coming home in a few weeks for the holiday break, but I didn't get to go with her.
0: Again, Charlie's own response seemed to lessen how badly she felt about the whole situation. Ah, you miss her. This I understand. But it is good that you will be seeing her again and soon, no? Jeremy spoke in reassuring tones as the pair continued to move through the darkness of the cave. Yeah, I
1: guess. I guess I just miss having her around. I don't have anyone to talk to anymore except for my aunt, and she's just a grown-up.
0: Charlie felt like she was just realizing this for the first time, and even as she spoke, a weight seemed to lift away. Well, now you have Jeremy to talk to. And your sister will be home soon and Jeremy will help you find your way back to her and everything will be wonderful again." Jeremy's voice boomed through the cave, his jovial spirit returning. So tell me, this place where you are from, what kind of fruit do they have?
1: Well, we have all the normal fruits, like apples and bananas,
0: Charlie noted. Ha <laughs> ha That sounds wonderful! Perhaps Jeremy will be able to visit this place and try your apples and bananas." The pair continued their way through the cave, their conversation echoing softly through the cave as they traveled, now more easily through the darkness.
1: You'll be near the caves, Mift, and you don't have to go if you don't want to.
0: Salazar had finally caught up to the running form of Mift, who was making excellent time in his journey along the forest floor. While it had taken most of the day, they were getting close to the last place anyone had seen old Pete.
1: Hey there,
0: replied the chipmunk as it hopped on top of an old log, pausing to sniff at the air.
1: I'm sure he didn't mean to almost eat you
0: continued the finch as he alighted on the log next to the chipmunk.
1: He's just a little um, loopy in the head, that's all. Very bright, very bright,
0: responded the chipmunk as he dashed back into the underbrush. With a shake of his head, the finch slipped back into the air and while flitting after the chipmunk, was almost knocked completely out of the air by a blast of water and foam that shot past him in mid-flight.
1: Uh, look out for mist, incoming!
0: And as he said this, Salazar expertly swooped and darted as another streaming blast of water sailed just behind him.
2: Well, what do we have here?
0: A familiar voice croaked from the general direction of the water barrage. Wheeling back around and then through a tangle of brush, a small finch popped out into a stony clearing at the front of what looked like a large cave mouth. And there, sitting before him, was the large parrot-like form of old Pete, who had some sort of brush in one hand and was furiously scrubbing at the inside of his beak before dashing his head into a pool of water within the stone and then spurting it out of his mouth in another dash of water that, thankfully, was not this time aimed at Salazar. Mift, meanwhile, had already scurried up on top of a taller stone that set him eye level with the large and bison creature. Hey Tittered as he settled in a spot where the Kakapo could see him. Old Pete was one of the last of his kind, or perhaps the only one of his kind. Unlike other bird like creatures, he could not fly at all, though his great taloned feet allowed him to easily climb trees, and the stumpy wings he had let him parachute down from great heights. Pete was very strong, if not a little on the dim side, which was perhaps a result of his great age. No one knew how old he was, as it seemed he was around before anyone else.
2: Hey there yourself, little fella,
0: the ancient Gakapa responded, tossing the stick it had been using to the side before letting out a strange, barking bellow, which was apparently its laugh.
2: Say, didn't I eat a fellow just like you not too many cycles ago?
0: A large green bird tilted its owl-like face to the side, eyeing Mift, who grandly, stood his ground.
1: Now, now, great Pete, uh, we don't mean you any harm. We've been sent by Adeline with, with, t- with terrible
0: news. Interrupted Salazar, who was ready to be off that topic as quickly as possible.
2: The terrible news, you say? How delightful!
0: Rumbled the large bird, who settled down on a smooth stone, turning its head lazily towards Salazar.
2: I haven't heard news in such a long time. Good Bad, terrible, or otherwise.
0: His eyes seemed to smile at the diminutive finch.
2: More outworlders have arrived,
0: Salazar began. But the great Kakapo interrupted him immediately.
2: Ah! Outworlders, inworlders, woodlings, wildlings. Ah! Next thing you know that Adeline will be trying to get me to raise the stone army again. What a lot of rubbish. If that's all you have, perhaps I will eat this friend of yours.
0: And with that, the large bird hopped back up and waddled toward Mift, who skittered quickly out of sight.
1: I I know nothing of that, but I met one of them. A young female soft skin who, who had a locket with her, and
2: Millicent has her now.
0: Salazar had already swooped up into the air and was flittering about in agitation with the news.
2: Well, now, a soft skin, you say? See, now that is interesting.
0: Once again, the large bird retreated to his smooth stone seat before continuing.
2: Please tell me
1: more.
0: As he was saying this, strange echoing sounds began to emanate from the cave mouth behind him. His hand throbbed as he sat outside in the chill night air. Brian knew it was idiotic to let Jinx get under his skin like that, and even more idiotic to try to take it out on a cold metal light pole. How people like that and people like Mr. Kettle managed to get ahead, he just couldn't understand. Brutal, nasty people just seemed to always come out on top. He was in the middle of this dismal line of thought when a pair of worn-looking shoes came to a stop right in front of him.
1: I hope you don't mind.
0: Came the voice he recognized as Joan from the 43rd floor.
1: I'm sorry. Perhaps this is a bad time. I'll just file the ticket tomorrow.
0: The voice continued and then the shoes were walking away. Joan had walked several steps past him by the time Brian's mind had pulled itself from his funk. No, no, I'm sorry. I was just preoccupied is all. Slowly, Brian pulled himself to his feet, shoving his reddened hand into a coat pocket. What can I do for you, Miss Willard, er, Stuart? He added lamely. Joan turned around and smiled up at him. He was, after all, a rather tall man, and she was petite. That smile, though, was like a warm blanket he caught himself in the middle of an odd, lopsided grin.
1: I'm so sorry to bother you, it's just the vents again. We aren't getting good air circulation, I thought. Maybe you could send someone up?
0: She smiled up at him again. Oh. Yes. Sure. You're in room…
1: Room 4312.
0: Joan responded quickly.
1: I'll be out most of the day and evening tomorrow again, so just let yourself in. Miss Oldmire and Charlie should be in there and can point you to what we're talking about.
0: Again, the bright smile Brian wondered how someone like Joan could even find a way to smile, even if he lost his job, he was in a better situation than her with her two girls. Brian had a favorite coffee mug and an idea of a dog he might get someday.
2: Oh, yes, four three, one two, can't forget that just one, two, three, four, in a different order.
0: he added, and immediately regretted himself. Why on earth he got so flustered around her? he had no idea oh. And Joan? Yes? She asked again with that smile. Ryan sighed. He just couldn't tell her about the possibility of rent going up. Let her be happy at least another day or two.
2: I'm sorry, ma'am, that your airflow isn't working properly.
0: Well, he supposed that was better than nothing.
1: Oh, I understand that you're very busy and it's a very large building. Good night, Ryan.
0: She said before turning and heading back inside the building. I'll look into it myself. Brian trailed off. How did one handle these hyphenated names anyway? (laughs) Having busied herself with everything she could think of and There only being a few minutes remaining until Joan returned, Miss Oldmire decided to peek in on the unusually quiet Charlie. Slowly turning the doorknob, she opened the door soundlessly, the smile growing on her face as there was nothing sweeter in this world than the cherubic face of a sleeping child. The room was dark within, but Miss Oldmire could make out the typical trappings of a young girl. There were drawings from her sister on the wall a few stuffed animals and clothes strewn about. Miss Oldmeyer tisked softly at this. Charlie was such a mess, a sweet little mess, but a mess all the same. Her eyes cast to the rumpled covers on the bed and then narrowed as she noticed that the covers had been thrown back, but Charlie was nowhere to be seen. Opening the door a bit wider, Miss Oldmeyer stepped a foot into the dark room and craned her neck to see if perhaps Charlie were bundled into the bottom corner of the bed, or perhaps had just slipped down onto the floor. A surge of alarm and concern hit her chest when further inspection revealed no little Charlie-sized shapes to be found anywhere in the room. "Charlie," Miss Oldmeyer whispered at first, but then stepped fully into the room and walked up to the bed.
1: "Charlie." It's Goldie here.
0: Goldie was the name Charlie had given her, on account of the likeness to her name and the gold necklaces that the old woman allowed Charlie to model from time to time. Her voice raised to normal speaking tones as Goldie reached for the light and switched it on.
1: Charlie? Come, dear. This little game isn't funny. Your mother will be home soon, and you should be in bed.
0: Still no reply at this point. Goldie turned over the covers, stooped to peer under the bed, and looked into the closet. Yet there was no sign of Charlie anywhere.
1: For goodness sake, where did you go, girl?
0: Her heart was beating much faster now, thoughts swirling through her mind about how she would be blamed for all of this and what possibly might have happened to the little girl.
1: Did you run out before I came over?
0: old Meyer began to move through the rest of the apartment. Not that there was much to the place.
1: I came over at my normal time. Come on, dear. Charlie? Charlie!
0: She checked Joan's room and the laundry room as well as all of the closets, but there was simply no sign of young Charlie. Charlie! As panic was setting in, the door to the apartment opened and in walked Joan, who stopped immediately as she saw the ashen look on Miss Oldmeyer's face.
1: Charlie's missing. I, I don't know where she is.
0: Word travels quickly in most circumstances, and bad news travels the most quickly of all. By morning, the 43rd floor was abuzz with whispers about a missing girl, and by noon, it was the talk of all of building 14. And for Jinx January, it was like Christmas morning itself had arrived early, with the most wonderful gifts.
2: How salacious, you don't say. A girl of 10, missing on the
0: 43rd? how dreadful he made a marvelous show of concern on his face as the 10th tenant shared what little detail they had usually embellishing the story each time the rumors were already quite incredible one said it was the old woman across the hall that stole the child away from her negligent mother another said that the child merely ran off to find her sister who had been thrown out of the apartment still another claimed that the girl had been so badly neglected that she had died and her body had been found in the laundry chute. Well, as you can hear for yourself, Miss Fillmore, this is certainly something that Child Protective Services should look into.
2: I don't have any idea what could have happened to the young girl, but we at Kettle Properties take child
0: safety very seriously, which is why I called you over here personally. Jinx smiled broadly as the clean-cut service officer sat in her prim, dark suit, briefcase in hand.
2: I suppose that it cannot hurt to take me to the room. I assume that the mother is there now?
0: Miss Fillmore had seen and heard everything, literally. Cases like this, fortunately, usually turned out to be nothing more than a child running and hiding and then returning when they were hungry again. Though much worse could be at play here, and that was what she was trained to handle.
2: Oh, I believe so. She is certainly making a good show of being frightened. Did you know this isn't the girl's real mother? No, no, this is her adoptive aunt. The poor young girl lost her mother some years ago and has been in the care of her aunt since arriving here, at least. Sadly, the woman can barely make ends meet and is always away working, leaving the young child alone most of the
0: evening and night when school is out. Or at least that's what I hear." Jinx smiled again and then stood. If you are ready, you can follow me. Miss Fillmore was a good judge of character, and this character she did not like. But no matter who or what he was, He was not likely at fault here. Just another leech, feeding off the pain of others. But this, she expertly kept to herself as she stood as well and nodded.
1: Yes, please. I think I will interview the mother now, and the caretaker who lives across the hall. Miss Oldmire, is it?
2: Oh, yes, Miss Oldmire, Jinx chuckled lightly. She has been a resident for many years. Keeps to herself mostly. I wouldn't have thought she could do anything to harm anyone, but... Who knows? (laughs) Stranger things happen, and these
0: days, you just never know. This last, he said as he walked out the door, leading Miss Fillmore to the bank of elevators and to the 43rd floor. The small silver locket lay in the center of the great stone slab that in turn filled the center of the grotto with its towering stone monoliths encircling like ancient wardens. Touching the sharpened stick to the tiny clasp, the great blue heron Millicent closed her eyes and breathed deeply. All around her, darkness began to flow in thick tendrils from the odd carvings across the face of each of the giant stones. Then with a sudden stab, the locket sprung open, and by some strange force all the dark tendrils began to pour themselves into both halves of the open star shape, until the locket itself began to glow with a faint, bluish hue, not unlike that of the orb hanging around Crafton's neck. With a slowly exhaled breath, the heron opened her eyes and turned to the kia while still pinning the locket to the stone with the tip of the stick she held in one clawed foot.
1: Now, take it and place it around your neck. Do it quickly and clear your mind of anything but your desire for the celestial star."
0: Grafton approached carefully, picking up the encircling chain first, marveling at the trick of shadow and light he saw before him. His own master performed such feats with regularity, but usually there was some machine involved. Here. There seemed to be nothing creating all of this. Still, if this was all he needed to do in order to gain access to his prize, then so be it. With a swift motion, Nakia flipped the necklace and glowing locket into the air, snagged it in his curved beak and flipped it one last time around his head, letting the locket fall around his neck. As he did so, everything around him exploded in pain and color and light and sound like nothing he had ever experienced in this world or any other. He could hear his own shrill cry echoing all around him, fusing with the cackling laughter of the maniacal heron. It was all he could do to pump his powerful wings and in a few moments he could sense that he was aloft, twirling, spinning in an aerial dance the likes of which he had never dared before. Below him, the heron looked on in awe as the light of the locket suddenly seized Achaea, who launched upward like a flaming, shimmering phoenix. After reaching the apex of his climb, he began twirling through the air, each swooping dive etching a mark of light in the shape of one of the ancient symbols. Quickly, the heron began to scratch what it saw on the flat-slate tablet at its feet. The answer was here, at last. The ancient powers would awaken, and she, Millicent the Great, would take control of this realm and all others as the prophecy had foretold. The part of Charlie is voiced by Jolene Fresquez from Dice Tower Theater. Salazar, the Yellow Finch, is voiced by Brad Zimmerman from The Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Mift the Chipmunk, is also voiced by Brad Zimmerman from The Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon. Adeline, the Antelope, is voiced by Alexandria Young-Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Marvelous, the White Tiger, is voiced by Mike Atchley from Dice Tower Theater. Millicent, the Great Blue Heron, is voiced by Carrie Coelho from Elderberry Tales. Joan Williard-Stewart, Charlie's aunt, is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Brian Burke, the maintenance chief, is voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. Jinx January, the building manager, is voiced by Kenneth Eccles from Podcast Reviews, Reviews Podcast. Mr. Kettle, the landlord, is voiced by Mike Atchley from Dice Tower Theater. Jeremy, a fruit bat, is voiced by Daniel Nichols from the Happy-Go-Lucky Podcast, Old Pete, the Kakapa, is voiced by Sean Gates from Kid Cryptid. Crafton, the Kia, is voiced by Kenny from A Necessary Evil. Ferris, the Wolf, is voiced by Carrie Coello from Elderberry Tales. Miss Fillmore, the Child Services Worker, is voiced by Alexandria Young-Ray from Pomegranates and Pitchforks. Miss Oldmire, the Caregiver, is voiced by Bavanit from the Try With Us podcast. Rupert Kersman is voiced by Jordash Richardson. From Top of the Round. The Stone Lieutenant is voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Charlie Saves Christmas is an original story written, produced, and narrated by Daniel Nichols from the Happy-Go-Lucky podcast and is made possible by our patrons and the support of our listening audience and the tremendous voice talent of our many podcasting creators and friends. Please join us in applauding the tremendous talent of these wonderful friends and creators and be sure to discover a whole new range of fantastic content as you explore each of their podcasts and creative endeavors. Thank you for listening and subscribing. For more information about this story and other productions of the Happy-Go-Lucky podcast, visit us online at happygolucky.com. Lucky Lucky is spelled L-U-K-K-Y. From all of us at the Happy-Go-Lucky podcast, we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a wonderful holiday season.
2: i and we're the hosts of Kid Cryptid, a podcast where we talk about animals that are claimed to exist, but have never been proven, known as cryptids.
1: What my dad is trying to say is we tell stories about Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and other creatures.
2: Indeed, we do. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
1: Don't forget about Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.
2: Well, I think that should pretty well wrap us up. Until next time.